0: parents and military kids please like share and subscribe and we appreciate your comments questions and ideas for topics that you would like to hear more about Welcome everyone to our podcast for the sake of the child. My name is Tara Gleason. I'm a professional educator, curriculum developer, researcher, and now podcast producer for the Military Child Education Coalition. I'm also a parent to three children, one with exceptional needs, and the spouse of an active duty service member. Joining me today is Michelle Norman, who's the 2019 Armed Forces Insurance Navy Spouse of the Year. She's a Navy wife for over 24 years and the mother of a 15-year-old daughter with cerebral palsy and multiple other disabilities, along with another year old son. Also joining us is Casey McCarley. She's the Military Child Education Coalition Professional Development Program Manager and also a mom of a child with exceptional needs. Thank you both for joining us today. I definitely want to hear both of your stories and what's kind of led to this point personally. And then I really want to draw attention to the summit and some of what you hope to accomplish through that. But can we talk about that for a little bit? I think you guys have talked. About some of that,
1: you know the summit getting a panel for special needs education at this summit was a huge win for us
0: mm-hmm. typically
1: um at these military family caucuses, you'll hear from regular k through twelve education and other family quality of life issues such as housing um spouse employment and um you know, other type of uh, issues that seem to be the forefront right now, like mental health awareness and suicide prevention. So it took a little bit of effort to um, get some congressmen and women on board to put some spotlight on special education. And so we were very fortunate to kind of work this panel and to finally be able to discuss some of the challenges that we have been seeing and the trends that a lot of our military families are actually experiencing across the U.S. as far as not receiving an appropriate education for their kids with special needs. And, you know, there's obviously a lot of challenges involved when we do move state to state, district to district. Um, but I think a lot of times those challenges have not been, they've just been overlooked for a long time. because it's complicated. It's not an easy law to navigate with IDEA. And so I think we're going to try to break it down in this, summit in easy, manageable ways to the audience and also to the VIPs and the congressmen and women that will be there to say, hey, this is what's happening, here's the problem, but here's some concrete solutions um, that we are working from our end, but it would be helpful also if you guys would be able to take legislative action to make those actually be something, the change actually happened for DOD across All the service branches so that's what we're looking for to give immediate help and support for our military families we know it's going to take a while Um, we do have the ndaa 2020 that's hopefully going to be signed sometime this fall to address defining that scope of the problem because i think that is part of where the issue is is it's just a lack of data and then also just kind of maybe pushing our legislators to look and dive deeper into some of the reasons why school districts may not be complying because there's no accountability and transparency. So that's kind of a lot of things we're going to be talking about. Everyone has their own personal emotional story to share at the summit. Casey has got a great story because they have moved um, several times They've had to make some difficult decisions for their son. And once you do go through a process like the legal avenues that most of us have to do process, you know we there's, there's the distinct challenge of actually having school districts follow through with it or with fidelity and then knowing that you're going to move again um there's a good chance that they're not even going to bother so we've we've all had those problems we're very lucky to have a panel of um five families that have gone through it and um have like the moral rectitude I guess to do something about it at the the larger level
0: Can you tell me more about the National Defense Authorization Act 2020? You just mentioned it. Are you able to speak to that at all? Absolutely.
1: So every year there's a National Defense Authorization Act that is put together that deals with all of DOD's, I guess, funding processes and what programs that they want to, you know, put their efforts and studies and obviously funding for salaries and whatnot. It's a very large act. You can have different parts in it that are introduced from various legislators. If there is, for instance, right now there's a widow's tax that's being considered for the NDAA 2020 as well. There's looking into more of suicide rates within the DOD. There's just various different things. But we were able to work with Congressman Luria to get some legislation in there to study military families and special education. There is a fantastic quote here that I can include that says, the committee is concerned that many families participating in the EFMP program are not provided with consistent educational opportunities throughout each permanent change of station move. The committee is concerned that each PCS is disruptive to the educational plans for the child. As the services provided, to special needs children can vastly differ between states and school systems and that each PCS is disproportionately more difficult for EFMP families who may need more time to make educational choices. The committee is also concerned the Department of Defense and Services lack the common performance measures and metrics to assess assignment coordination and family support. The committee tasked the Secretary of Defense with studying this issue and completing a report by February of 2020. And so that's a very important piece of legislation because DOD has not really studied special education since 2011, I believe. And even then, the study was airborne with no actual real data of how many families have been affected um, negatively moving around every two to three years and not having their children's IEPs being implemented each time they move. So we're hopeful that this particular legislation will get us a baseline of data. My thought is that the NDA 2021 will probably have the GAO do a further deep dive into the baseline of what DOD will collect by February 2020, because it is such a widespread problem. I don't think that a study that's going to be completed within you know, six months is going to give us the data that we need. So we're hopeful that the GAO um language we put into the next NDAA 2021 so that we can continue to just grasp how large spread this problem is. I mean, we know that the trend is out there, that the school districts are waiting families out because it just it's a burden, you know, for them to give these supports and services. And I think all of our um, stories that we'll be telling when we're in Fort Benning is that, you know, we all saw a minimization of our children's disabilities when they moved. And a lot of times they'll say, um, your child's doing fine, they don't need this service, they don't need this goal, we can go ahead and move this service to an accommodation. So it's just easier to, I guess, minimize disabilities and take away those services, but yet continue to receive impact A funding. So we're hopeful that um, the, the support from that impact actually stays with the child who has special needs. And, in fact, when they do move, they should be getting more support. That's when they need it the most is when they transition.
0: So, hopefully this
1: uh, study will give us the data that we need and be able to make good recommendations from that point.
0: You've also been working with the Department of Defense to reform EFMP. What kind of reforms are you looking into? What are you suggesting?
1: So we could talk a little bit about those actions. First of all, I think one of the main things we need to have DOD do is accurately collect that data. So if DOD will support that NDAA 2020 legislation and earnestly collect the data on our military families, and um, I think that we will be able to get a bigger grasp of how to do the reform. Um, across EFMP um, for our military branches. For one thing, EFMP programs are supposed to survey their families as directed by U.S. Code 1781-Charlie, but only one service branch is doing that, which is the Marine Corps. I believe if all of the service branches were surveying their EFMP families on a regular basis, then we would be able to have a good idea on what their satisfaction is with their special education for their children. So I think that if we can take a look at what the Marine Corps has done, backstory for the Marine Corps is about a decade ago, they had a senior general who um, had a very disabled child, and during that time, the Marine Corps revamped their ESMP program. They allocated a lot more case managers to their program, and they also positioned on both Coast special education attorneys to help Marine Corps families when there were legal issues that would come up with the school districts. And from my small data review, we've had very few Marine Corps families complaining or having any problems with their children receiving appropriate education. So I think that one of the main takeaways is that let's not reinvent the wheel. The Marine Corps has a strong and robust EFMP program, And I think if we can try to follow their lead, and if not, make it even stronger, I think that will immediately benefit all of our military families that do have children with special needs that are accessing special education. So I do believe that's the biggest thing. And I know that um, the Navy is looking into it and is taking an active stance. And I'm hopeful that the other services as well are looking deeper into how to um, improve
2: their EFMP services. Yeah, and I'll just chime in on EFMP just a little bit. If we understand the primary role of EFMP, it's actually to prevent special needs families from being sent to locations that don't have adequate services, whether it's medical services or educational services. So the primary role of EFMP is to take information on families who are assigned to the program and and with that information give guidance back about if the family's needs can be met in that location. And so one thing I think personally needs to happen with regard to EFMP is there needs to be clear communication about what the function and role of that program is for families and so that families don't have an unmet expectation that ESMP is going to um, provide service or support to them that they're not able to provide. And then secondary to that is we just like we don't see consistent service between school districts, we don't really see consistent support or service from the EFMP department as well. Some locations are more bolstered, some locations are completely tapped out and understaffed, and some locations have really. Um, Uh, high-speed, energetic staff who are, you know, outgoing and going to take their role to the max. And then some locations maybe don't have that, you know, level of staffing. And so, the impact for families is we see a variation in EFMP function and support between different locations. And I also
0: realized that EFMP is different amongst each branch, that you're not, for instance, we were in a situation where we were on an Air Force installation and their program is different than the army program at that time so i think they are working towards certainly standardizing paperwork they're standardizing some of the paperwork and try to standardize some of their processes in the coming years so I, i can absolutely see where you're
2: coming from with that one Yeah, and staff performance expectations. You know, at some installations, you've got staff that are going to jump in and help you out and write letters of exception and get in the mix with the school district. And then other locations, you have staff that don't even leave their office. That's a good point.
1: That's a really good point. Um, We have noticed that there has been a reluctance for school liaison officers to raise a flag that there are issues in this area. It's just easier, I think, to... Pretend that there's no problems and not to cause waves, especially if perhaps their position description doesn't really Mm -hmm. outline that they're supposed to advocate. They're very happy to give resources, but a lot of times our families need a person to talk to about their individual case, and maybe someone to sit in a meeting with them to give that support. You know, you can look at a military one-source website, which is fantastic, and it's helpful for some, but it's static. And there's only so much you can do when a school district is not following the law. I think there's a lot of good faith and hope that school districts are doing the right thing, but that's not always the case. You know, we've been very blessed for most of our military career to have some wonderful school districts that would come to the table with IEP meetings and give a lot of great suggestions and Actually, give us the interventions that we didn't even know about existed, just to help support my daughter's education. But then, you know, things went in a completely different direction on our last PCS. So you can't always bet that each school district leadership is going to do the same thing. Um, so I think that you're right. Some places are just better than others. So there's definitely a lot of obstacles that families have to jump through just to, one, be educated about what their rights are, and then, two, when you do know what your rights are, how do you get the school districts to comply? It's expensive.
0: So I know that you're very much into teaching parents about their students' educational rights, and you've co-founded the support group Parents for FAPE. Can you talk a little bit about that support group?
1: I'm going to back up a little bit and tell you just about my daughter and, and how she's driven me to advocate I think that might give you some background. She was born really early at 27 weeks, two pounds, three ounces. And so from a very early part of her life, I've had to become her advocate. She spent her first eight months of her life in a hospital. We got the doom and gloom from the doctors that she may never walk, she may never talk. And so during this time, guess what? My husband was in an air wing staff in the middle of workups preparing for a seven-month deployment. This is not new to many EFMP families. You learn early on to not accept the status quo, and you're hurdled into this new job of advocating um, because you're the only advocate there for your child. And so we thought we got through a lot of, you know, medical obstacles at the very beginning. She started to thrive, many odds. She started to school. We were very naive initially because we've worked with so many great local city public schools and in early intervention all the way up to fifth grade until we got here. And that's when our five-year legal battle began, when the service and support started being taken away from our IEP. And we went to due process. We were forced to do that in 2016, where we won. And it was during that time, we were writing our congressmen and women, and I was linked up with another spouse who was going through a due process hearing. And after attending her hearing, I said, you know, we need to get together. I know it's very difficult for families in our position to actually organize because we are so tired and exhausted. Um, It's hard to do anything outside of the regular business day to, you know, think about how to advocate for the, the greater community. But between us, we were able to form the organization. It's just a private organization. We are reaching out to both the military and the civilian community because we know that if it's affecting the military, most likely the undercurrent is also there for the civilian community as well. And it has been a fantastic um, way for people to get together. We have my uh, Kathy, the other co-founder, has been putting together webinars to kind of educate on different parts of the IEP process through Child find. even talked about 504. She does um, really great 10-minute talks on that. We've had monthly meetings, and we've actually gotten together with uh, the other families to put together IEP binders that will help the families throughout the year be organized. I notice that a lot of times you get so much paperwork, you don't know what to keep and what not to keep. So we try to advise and guide families on how to approach these meetings, how to collaborate, but to also make sure you have your documentation when you need to have proof that something's not being implemented the correct way. So it's been a great start. I would love to put more energy into it. I think that, you know, it's, again, difficult when – my husband's gone you know, until next summer, and I'm just trying to keep my head above the water. But I think if the more we talk about it, the more other families will see that we exist and hopefully know that they have a place to go and be able to meet monthly just to be with other people who get it. And I think that was another piece that was missing, is that there's just not enough. There are not a lot of organizations where you can just go and have coffee and talk about what's going on in your life because it can be very isolating, very lonely situation. There are times where no one understands the, the stress that you might be under just to keep your kid alive and then to worry about, you know, their educational experience and making sure that they're one day going to be an independent, productive member of society. So it's just good to know that there's a community out there, organizations like Parents for Faith, that will be able to gather and uh, support and hopefully lift them up when they really need it
0: so Casey you so you both of you are going to be going to the Congressional Military Family Caucus on October 9th in Georgia Casey you're going to be on that panel as well are you willing to share some of your story yes absolutely
2: for my family, um, similar to what Michelle has encountered, and many many other families across all of our military branches, um, you know, I hear stories all the time, and I wish that I felt surprised at what they say, but um, more, um, it, it's a very consistent that you know families in the military who have a child with a unique need or an exceptionality or something that requires beyond the typical service these families are um, enduring systemic challenges wherever they go and it's just it's pervasive from location to location, and it's it's troubling because I I sense that within our higher echelons of military leadership, there's an awareness that these challenges exist because there's so many families who speak out on a regular basis um, regarding these issues, but yet we just we need the extra push to move from awareness to action. Um, You know, military families uh, have a, a unique situation in that, you know, as Michelle has pointed out, we're juggling deployments and if it's not an official deployment you know um, constant tdy and other activities and field problems etc um, and, and so parents are not only functioning as a regular parent but they're also functioning in a single capacity juggling everything which is its own unique dynamic and then layer that with the fact that um, parents who have a child with an exceptional need also function as a caregiver in many roles we, we wear lots of different hats and we try to do it all successfully and and keep a normal life so that um, our, our service member can perform their duties to the best of their ability so all those dynamics are in play um but but again i come back to the uh the frustration over the systemic challenges across all the branches and how parents who have a kid with a disability, uh, it's as if we're a hidden people with a muted voice throughout all of the services. So I'm I'm really excited about this caucus, and I hope that we're able to move from awareness to action. So with regard to my family specifically, we have an adorable 14-year-old son um, who has a diagnosis of Down syndrome. And we were totally caught off guard by that diagnosis. Um, I didn't grow up around kids with disabilities, and and, and, and so I, I, I kind of came into parenthood without a lot of prep. And um, when we were told about our son's diagnosis, it wasn't a real gentle um, – we weren't gently informed. And so since that situation, I have been – a personal advocate for um, doctors and hospitals having better training on how to inform parents that their child has a disability because it, that in and of itself receiving that diagnosis can be a very traumatic experience so um, we found out that our son had Down syndrome at birth there were no markers along the way in the pregnancy we did all the testing everything looked normal um, I was young on the younger side I was 29 years old and, and had no awareness and no Um, uh, signals that this would impact my life and this would be part of my personal journey. So we had Zeke 14 years ago and got that diagnosis at birth. Um, Dad is active duty in the Army. And so since birth, Zeke has changed schools six times. So from his K through 8th grade setting, um, Zeke has changed school six different times, and those have included public, private, and even homeschool, just depending on the resources available at each location. So so, um, that right there I think is an important piece that be understood that kids who have exceptionalities, they don't always get the opportunity just to transfer from public school to public school to public school. They oftentimes have to have a different educational setting altogether based on the resources being available or not even being available, so that's a, I think that that's a huge implication. Some of the results that our family has encountered and some of the things we've seen through our journey. Um, specifically, is that um, there's no DoD legal assistance available. We are completely on our own. So if we need legal assistance to advocate for education, we're on our own, and that comes out of our own financial pocket. And no one's in the military to get rich. So um, that's a tough. That's a tough situation. Additionally, our family has experienced that student liaison officers and ESMP personnel were not always capable to help us when we needed it. That doesn't mean they didn't always want to. We have encountered some who have wanted to help us, but perhaps because of different circumstances or different um, dynamics in their situation or their office, they're not able to help us. So um, I think as a as a as a military system we can't just say, oh, educational needs can be fielded, can be fielded by student liaison officers or EFMP. The design is not in place for that to happen. So, So our son experienced loss of critical instruction time in the classroom, so his learning regressed. So again, it's just those those constant changes of educational setting. We cannot expect that kids with um, unique needs would have continuity in their education when we have to change the entire setting depending on resources. So loss of instruction time. Um, another experience that we've had is that schools don't know or they don't follow um, the MIC three law or special education laws or um, a fair and appropriate public education yes. tape, as Michelle mentioned. So there's no continuity between the services between the states and that should change. Um, families opt often to live geographically separated and so that's something that our family is facing this ne- this next year perhaps even or, or the year after that um, with the hard choice of are we gonna be geographically separated just to meet the needs of, uh, the educational needs of of our son with Down syndrome and lots of families face that all the time. We are not the only ones. Um, Some special education challenges unique to our family um, through our story are that um, we encountered a school district, two different school districts actually in our journey, that refused to implement the IEP that was brought to them from an outside district. So there's no continuity of those IEP services between states and no accountability. There are laws in place, but again, we go back to we saw that Either they don't know the law or they choose to not follow it. And we, and we have no um, DOD legal, legal assistance available at that point. So we're really very stuck. So refusal to implement IEP. And when I share that with people, I often feel like they're looking at me like, are you kidding me? Does that really happen? And I'm here to tell you, it really, really does. I'm not the only one, and I've heard that from a number of different parents. Um, multiple attempts. To change our son's instructional setting when we have placed him in a new school, um, and again, when when I share that piece with other families, um, they relate and they understand. But unless you have gone through that, you really you you imagine that. Um, that the right thing happens, right? We wanna believe that everybody does the right thing all the time, but it's just not the case for our students with um, special needs. So attempts to change his instructional placement setting. And then um, another experience for our family is no oversight of the IMC the IEP implementation or integrity of services, you know, that um, autonomy um, that happens in the classroom and in the school and in the district, so there's no oversight of the IEP. IEP implementation piece. So just a brief example, Um, we had a situation where um, we were, my husband was assigned to a military installation and we placed our son um, uh, with Down syndrome in an area school there and uh, they received him and they took him in and they showed resistance to um, following the IEP and following the uh, placement and um, as soon as I showed some advocacy they they said okay okay we'll we'll do that. we'll place him there for the first thirty days well, so he was placed in in the setting that his IEP um, mandated, and they we saw that he was being set up for failure and he wasn't being supported and things were being documented. And and so we saw that, oh, this is in motion to change his instructional setting. And there was no oversight of how the IEP was implemented. So I come back to, you know, you can have this beautiful fabulous IEP document that outlines everything that your kid could ever want or need or dream, but who's giving oversight that there's integrity, of services and that that document is implemented. So um, those are just some some brief challenges that our family has faced, and I'll be highlighting some of those um, when we we go to the summit on October 9th, and I'm so very thankful on how um, we've been able to connect with Michelle. She's an amazing advocate, really speaking out for change, and so I'm excited for Um, This caucus and we're we're really very hopeful that um, this is not just a one-time opportunity to share our stories. We're really actually very hopeful that this will personalize the challenges that military families face and we'll be able to move from awareness to action and continue to be able to bring light to this not for our own personal gain but so that we can see positive change across all the branches that benefit all military families and serve all military-connected kids that have a disability. They really do deserve our support.
1: Well, I want to say that I am very thankful for MSEC. Advocating for special education has been very difficult. There have not been a lot of organizations that wanted to take up this challenging issue because it's complicated. And advocating for special education is a very difficult subject and it's not one that nonprofits will easily want to take on you do have to have professionals with expertise who understand IDEA and the laws that go hand-in-hand with special education and I'm very thankful that MSEC has those unique programs designed to serve you know the students the parents the schools, and by actively looking into what these deficits are that our special needs children are facing. And so I'm thankful for MSEC for partnering with me. This has been a great challenge, but I do believe we have some momentum now. You know, as I was advocating for many years when Marissa first came here in 2014 it really started to make a difference when my efforts were recognized and i was able to um get the title of 2019 armed forces insurance navy spouse of the year i believe that having that title gave me credibility and got me to um the table a seat at the table and i am so grateful for that program because it really does amplify you know all of our Voices, you know, of all 1.1 million active duty military spouses across the U.S., because so many of us are advocating on important issues like education. And so, in other issues, it has significant impacts on our military readiness and retention, and education is one of them, especially those of our most vulnerable kids. And so, I am very thankful for that program to have given me the voice to be able to continue to speak up for our children's exceptional needs.
2: Michelle and I and the other families represented on the special education panel really want to extend a warm invitation to anyone in the Fort Benning area or anyone willing to travel to the Fort Benning area and join us for the Congressional Military Family Caucus Annual Summit. It's on October 9th, coming up in just a few weeks, Wednesday, October 9th. The entire summit is 830 to 130. The special education panel, I believe we're represented right before noon. It's at the National Infantry Museum and Soldier Center there at Fort Benning, and it is hosted by DOD Military Family Readiness Council. So this is an important event put together and hosted by Representative Sanford Bishop and Representative Kathy McMorris-Rogers. And this family caucus is going to cover all topics associated with home front readiness, including special education, thanks to Michelle Norman, ESMP, housing, K-12 education, and employment.
0: Hope to see you there. Thank you. Thank you so much for talking with me today about special education and the upcoming summit. To all our listeners, be sure to follow us and subscribe so you can hear our podcast first and have access to bonus content. We also want you to leave us a comment and tell us what you think. Also, let us know who you want to hear from in future podcasts. Thank you all for listening, and join us again next week. I want to thank you again for listening to our podcast, For the Sake of the Child. We would like to invite you to visit our website at www.militarychild.org. Like the MSEC on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Please join us again next time as we share more stories that impact our military-connected kids.